the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. What is the word to stand on? Keep this down in us all in one. What is the word to stand on? Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as I hope you know by now, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, or anything else that's going on in your heart or mind. We'd love to take the time to give you some direction as best we can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. Once again, 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, banner will appear at the top of your screen. It says call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. I was just informed that this is National Pancake Day. How could I not know that? Pancakes are my favorite food in the whole world, and I didn't know about that. So we're going to have to do something with that. Paul, I know you're listening. Uh, I know we have to wait till Thursday, but um, pancakes it is. <laughs> Great day. Uh, We don't have anything else going on on Tuesday, so we'll get right to the questions. The first one I want to address is, uh, I think, sort of a a complaint question. It is from uh, Liz uh, in the, make sure, yeah, Liz in Austin. Uh, She was listening to the program uh, last week, uh, and she says this. Why, hello, why is homosexuality a sin and why is it okay to hate a person because of religion? What God doesn't love everyone? And then she signs it to, from Austin, Texas. Uh, later in the, in the information, she says, um, why is homosexuality a sin and why is it okay to hate a person because of religion? And then later she says, I want to be on the show. Well, uh, Liz, we're not going to have you on the show, but I hope you're listening and will pay attention. Um, One of the things that we forget relative to uh, the do's and the don'ts in life is that God knows what's best. God makes the rules. We don't get to. Now, I understand the world that you're growing up in, and there's no indication how old you are in your email. Uh, I understand a world that says, no, this is fine, and everybody is free to love somebody else. It's very, very important that you understand that God isn't changed by what the world says or thinks. Uh, Nobody, no Christian, certainly nothing I've ever said on this radio program would indicate that I hated anybody because of my religion. Uh, But because I love them, Liz, then it's my responsibility to tell them the truth about their lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that God hates. Now, he doesn't hate them. 
What he hates is the fact that they're chosen to live a lifestyle that opposes God. And remember, going back to the foundation I already laid, God alone makes the rules. I always tell people when you can say, let there be light and there's light, then you can make the rules. But God is the only one that did it. You see, God created mankind. God created marriage. God gave mankind the gift of sexuality to be used only in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. And because of that, as Christians, we're supposed to say, okay, Lord, we agree with you. I would suggest something, Liz. I would suggest that that while I know emotionally you don't hate anybody, but when there's somebody who is living a lifestyle that will result in them going to hell, and I want to be clear, it's fairly obvious to me that you're not a Christian, Liz. So the sin that we get sent to hell for is rejecting Jesus Christ. But when we reject Jesus Christ, then our lives demonstrate that we are in opposition to him and we do sinful things. When God said a man shouldn't lay with a man or a woman with a woman, then he meant it. And so when I run into people who are living a lifestyle like that, and Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 both say people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, drunkenness is in there and, and, and anger and rage and uh, other kinds of sins. Then what we've got to conclude is that because God loves them, because we belong to God, we love them, we want them to be in heaven. I'm much more concerned, Liz, about where people are going to spend eternity than I am about the kind of life they live here. I don't care about somebody being happy in this life. I want them to be saved. When Jesus comes into the heart of a sinner, and, and just for your information, Liz, all sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is condemned to sin. And people who practice those sinful lifestyles, hetero or homosexual sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God if that's the way they live their lives. And to categorize me as somebody who hates somebody because religion, well, that's judging my heart when in fact I care more about him than you do because I want to tell him the truth. Let me also say this. Of course, says, what kind of God doesn't love everyone? God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for everybody. All we have to do is, all we have to do is believe and receive. So well, we're not going to have you on the show hope you understand my heart a little bit better. We have people who struggle with same-sex attraction in our church. We have people whose children have been told by this world that it's okay to give in to that temptation. And that family as a result is struggling. These are real issues, difficult issues. And because they are, we need to be sensitive, but we have to be truthful, and we have to tell them the truth in love. And the truth is that this is a lifestyle that God hates. If you're wondering, well, what are they supposed to do then? Well, then just like people that are single, they're to live celibate lives. But you cannot say you belong to God and practice a lifestyle that opposes Him. So Liz, I hope that at least helps with the understanding. 340-9585. We've got a seven-year-old Abigail on line one. Abigail, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Abby. How are you? Good. Good. What's your question? Um, I, have a, I have a question. Okay. Um, how has God always existed? How has he always existed? I'm going to listen to it on the radio. 
Okay, Abigail, thank you very, very much. Oh, just for the audience here, Abigail is a, a little girl who goes to our church. And uh, if you can possibly believe this, she's much cuter than she sounds. And this is a really smart girl. And she always asks questions that indicate she's curious. Abigail, a couple of things. There are things that, that we who live in time and space can't understand. We can't understand eternity. God always was. And he always will be. That's hard for us to understand. When you were born seven years ago, that's when you started. God had no beginning. He also has no end. So how could he always have been there? How could he always be? Not only that, Abigail, but he is completely self-sufficient. Here's the really neat thing to remember, Abigail. God didn't need us. But in his wisdom and in his infinite love, he chose to make us because he wanted to spend time with us. And that's why he made us. Now, he didn't need anybody to make him because he always was. Not only that, but when it became evident that man rebelled against God, God the Son, Jesus, took on human flesh and became one of us so that he could save us. So there's really no answer to how could God always be. We just know that he was. The Bible declares that he always was. And one day, Abigail, when we stand with Jesus, we're going to understand that. But until then, it's just one of those things that we have to believe and accept. Abigail, thank you. Give your mom and your brother and your sister a big hug and kiss for me, okay? Thank you, Abigail. God bless you. 340-9585. Abigail is one of my M&M um, kids, you know, that uh, uh, come in for little candy after church. And uh, I've known her from the very beginning of her life. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Scott from our email inbox. He said, do I have the historical uh, timeline correct uh, or the history or timeline, correct, in Micah 5, 1 through 5, verse 1 is Judas' fall to Babylon, verse 2 is Judas Jesus' birth, and verse 3, 400 years of silence in the return of Israel as a nation in verse 4. Um, Jesus' return in judgment in the millennial kingdom. Um, Scott, obviously Jesus' birth is is foretold in verse 2, but I, I, don't, think, I, don't, I don't think it's a specific... Uh, in the other comments that you've made uh, as as you do. Uh, let me explain. Um, in the first verses, uh, Mike is announcing that Israel is going to be humbled and in some cases overrun by foreign powers. Um, and, and even the people that are important in Israel are going to be insulted and humbled. So I, I don't think it's just Babylon. I think it goes back farther than Babylon. And I actually think it's prophecy, so it goes into the future a little bit. I, so so I think to, to limit it to suggesting that this is Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, uh, I think is a little bit too limiting. Uh, and then because of the difficulty, the answer is always Jesus. So then you've got the verse uh, that indicates that um, um, Jesus is going to come out of humble... Um, Bethlehem. By the way, it says there that his goings are from, or his goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Abigail, this is an answer to your question as well. Um, this promise was fulfilled in Jesus in Jesus Christ, uh, and Micah's prophecy declared that though Jesus came from Bethlehem, he didn't begin there. He began in eternity past, which really means he has no beginning. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He always existed, as did the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, in the other verses, um, rather than just the 400 years of silence, 
I think Mike is anticipating a future, um, one that will partially be fulfilled in the Babylonian exile and return, but it has a long-term fulfillment uh, as well in the Great Tribulation and then the restoration of Israel. Um, so, uh, again, I don't think we ought to limit there. And then, of course, uh, after the time of Israel's trial in the Great Tribulation, the Lord is going to restore uh, everything wonderfully and gloriously. Um, so he says, they shall abide for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. So um, you're on the right track, Scott, but I think you're probably just limiting a little bit too much uh, in there. By the way, the 400 years of silence, um, there are indications, no specific prophecies of that, but there are indications all throughout the prophetic books that when Israel stops listening, God is going to stop talking. And imagine what it was like, Scott, for 400 years for the people that really sought God not to be able to hear from him. There was no word prophetically. There was nothing that God was doing. They were on their own. Now we can read secular history and know some of the things that were going on during that time. The, 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 the triumphs of the Maccabees, God was still with them. But he wasn't speaking to them. What that means is when God's not speaking to us or we're not listening to God, the best we can do is to do the best we can on our own and we can't do very well on our own. That's the reason, Scott, that when John the Baptist began proclaiming the word of God out in the wilderness in the River Jordan, um, that's why, and this is not an exaggeration or hyperbole, when it says the whole countryside went out to hear him, literally everybody went out. For 400 years there's silence and suddenly word would travel like wildfire, that God was speaking again. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been? And they wanted to go out and see and hear what God was saying. Now, there were people that went out and got baptized, a Jewish form of baptism uh, of repentance. Um, But the religious leaders just went out to see who this man was and what was the message that he was declaring, what effect it would have on them. I often think about John proclaiming the word and John was not a seeker-sensitive kind of preacher and people would be convicted and God began preparing the land for the arrival of the Christ who they would also ultimately reject. Scott, thank you for the question. Here is our next question from Raymond. He says, Acts 3.21 What does it mean, the restoration of all things? What does that refer to? Um, Acts 3.21, let me read it. I'm going to start with verse 20. Um, In fact, I'm even going to go to verse 19. Um, Peter is speaking, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, which, by the way, is one of my favorite sentences in all of Scripture, those times of refreshing. And then that he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his prophets. So the, the phrase to restore everything as promised long ago uh, refers to the regathering of Israel. This is a very Jewish message. The regathering of Israel. It means having come through the great tribulation, that Jesus will then be on his throne in the house of David, David's throne, ruling and reigning. And that's the the restoration of all things. Now, understand a Jewish mind, uh, and the church was entirely Jewish. This is the very, very infant days of of the church of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 3. And the church was 100% Jewish. And so the Jewish mind wouldn't think about a new heaven and a new earth. They always believed that the Messiah would come and he would rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so in that context, um, what he's talking about is that very time when he comes, uh, we call it the millennial reign of Christ, 
um, they just believe wrongly that when the Christ came, all of that would happen, but it would be in their time and space. It's the reason that his disciples were always asking, uh, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom uh, to to Israel? So, um, Raymond, that's what it refers to, the restoration of all things. Now, we know that's going to be kicked off. Now we know by the rapture of the church, that could happen at any moment. I hope it happens now, but it could happen at any moment. Once we're out of here to be with the Lord, um, then the world is going to turn its attention on Israel. The Antichrist, the man we call the Antichrist, is going to be revealed for three and a half years of the first half of the Great Tribulation. Uh, he's going to pretend to be a man of peace. He's going to uh, to allow um, Jews to rebuild their temple on the original uh, foundation of Solomon's temple. It is, as you know, seated right next to, situated right next to uh, the 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 um, the Muslim shrine in Jerusalem, uh, and and it was a peace. The, the the Muslims will have their mosque, and the Jews will have their temple, and it will be at least thought to be a great great time. But when he says peace and safety, watch out, Jesus said. And that's when everything at the midway point of the Great Tribulation, that's when everything is in change. And by the way, Raymond, there's one other thing I want to refer to. During that first three and a half years, while everybody is declaring peace and safety, Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses from Revelation chapter 11, are going to be in Jerusalem and they're going to be declaring the evil of this man, the Antichrist, they're going to be declaring the wrath of God is coming. They're going to be declaring the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, they're going to try to kill him. They're going to be unable to do so for a time. And 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 eventually God's going to let him kill him. After three days, there's bodies being desecrated in the streets. They're going to come to life. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? They're going to come to life. and ascend into the heavens. And then the worst part of the Great Tribulation will begin in earnest. So that's the restoration of all things, Raymond. I like thinking about um, those things. You know, I I tell my church here, Raymond, that the Great Tribulation, there's going to be the greatest revival in the history of of the world. Uh, And I keep thinking how exciting that will be uh, and I tell the church that, that it makes me, it's so exciting, it almost makes me want to be left behind, but I don't want to be left behind. So uh, that's the restoration of all things. Here is a question from Wanda. Uh, let me take a phone call first. We've got a little bit of time left in this half of the program. Let's go to Gloria calling from San Antonio. Gloria, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I'm a little hoarse right now, so I hope you can. <laughs> Be able to understand what I'm saying. I can hear uh, and, you fine, Gloria. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Um, yeah, just got a few minutes. Uh, I'm heading to work, but um, I don't know how to to say this or how to start this. Just to let you know, I guess that my problem is I'm having a lot of problems at work with one of the ladies I was helping out. I was helping her out, but because her car broke down and her husband was in jail. And so I was giving her rights because I work, sometimes I work four days a week, sometimes I work three days a week. So all those days that I was working, I would give her, um, and I live in Poteet, and she lives mm-hmm. in San Antonio, but I would still take her all the way. Take me about 45 to 50 minutes that wow. I was still doing that because I thought it was the Christian thing to do. And uh, she needed some money, so I gave her some money. And I let her know that it was just a gift. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was just a gift. Mm-hmm. And now everything is go. Every, she's just causing me a lot of problems. And to make a sh- long story short, and um, I was just promoted to be um, security patrol security. It's, I've been doing that for eight months. I'm still learning my way around. But now it's. I guess she reported me. Because uh, after she, um, I think the way they say it nowadays, uh, I usually hardly use this phrase, but they say, uh, you threw me under the bus. <laughs> and 
I feel like she threw me under the bus, you know, and and so um, they put me with her that night, and things didn't go well. So I just been staying away from her because I got to know her really well, taking her home, and um, so I think she reported me. And I think they might try to take me off my patrol truck. And I don't want that to happen. So I was calling to see what advice you would give me about that. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Gloria. I, I'll do that. Uh, I, if I go a little bit longer, I'll, I'll pick it up on the other side of the break because we're coming up on a hard break in just a, just a little over a minute now. Um, you know, Gloria, God bless you for being kind. And I think the thing to do is to take this coworker. Uh, into a meeting with a supervisor, explain what you just explained. Look, I tried to help. I was giving her a ride. I even gave her a little tiny gift of money. And uh, I just wanted her to be able to get to work. And I was just trying to, to rightly represent Jesus. And now she's saying things about me that aren't true. Uh, so I just want everybody to know all I want is for her to be able to work. I want to be able to do my job. And if she accused you of things that aren't true, then in that meeting with the supervisor, try to get her to tell you what those things are exactly, be specific times and dates, so you can have some evidence that you didn't do those things. Gloria, I'll be praying for you. Would you keep me posted on how things are going? Hey, we've got two minutes before uh, we are two minutes in a break. Uh, we'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you then. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the show. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Gloria, I know you're still listening. Uh, very quickly, a couple of things that I just want to encourage you. Don't stop being nice. Don't stop doing nice things. Don't let somebody else steal your joy. Um, um, also, though, we need to be wise. We we don't want to become cynics. We don't want to not want to help people because it come, may come back and bite us. Uh, so so be prayerful when people ask for things. You know, to give somebody a ride to work and go out of your way to do that is a great thing. But but with the condition this lady's life is in, when she starts asking for money, that's probably the the place where you where you ought to just sort of back away. Let me buy a cup of coffee uh, on the way to work. But but um, uh, when when people start asking for money and they start asking for things that are are um, above and beyond kind of things, then you're, you're probably running into a, a, a difficult situation uh, in your future. So. Um, for you now, protect your heart by praying for this woman. God will change your heart as you pray for her. Uh, remember that she's not the enemy of your ministry. She's the object of your ministry. Uh, and at the same time, that doesn't mean that you need to do everything that she asks you to do. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the Christian thing is not always to just give everything. Uh, so be careful. Um, but but in, in the meeting that I suggested with a supervisor... Um, be sure that um, any accusations are as specific as possible. This doesn't have anything to do with you, Gloria, but, you know, one of the things that uh, I can do, I just now this is more a, a, a commentary on how boring I am, but uh, the truth is I, I can account literally for 98% of every hour and minute of my life. Um, people know who I am. They know where I am. Uh, I don't do things alone. I'm with Paula or I'm with other people. Uh, uh, I don't meet with people alone um, th th where there might be difficulties. There's always a witness. So uh, uh, when I say specifically, if I was ever accused of something, uh, my first question would be, okay, when did I do this and where was it that I did it? And and I I know exactly where I am. I, I I'm sort of boring and do the same routine all the time. But whenever you sit down in a meeting like the one I suggested, Gloria, and you have um, uh, specifics that you're asking about, 
that lends credibility. No, couldn't happen that way because I was here. Um, so just be careful, but trust the Lord. He's got you in his hand. Thank you very, very much for calling, and I'll be praying. Here is a question from Wanda. She said, will practicing Jews go to heaven because they're God's people, even if they don't believe in Jesus? Wanda, the answer to that is no, absolutely not. Uh, We are uh, in the uh, prophecy of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and we're only uh, 10 chapters in. And already God has established the idea of a remnant. Now, remnant, by definition, is a very small portion of people. So uh, he, he, he talks about there's always going to be a faithful remnant um, of Jews. And the, the, the message of Isaiah is Jewish. Uh, in that context, what he's saying is, though, people who are born physically or naturally Jewish aren't really Jewish at heart unless they're following Jesus Christ. So there is no special dispensation to the people of Israel for their own personal salvation. There's no guarantee because God chose Israel as a nation. I think, Wanda, one of the things that we get in trouble is we automatically assume that because God chose Israel, it means that he chose every Jew. And that's not the case at all. So no one gets to heaven by being a Jew. No one gets to heaven by doing good things. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And no one means no one. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, he said that uh, there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. No other name, just the name of Jesus. So uh, just because Israel, the nation, is chosen, doesn't mean that individual Jews are chosen. They have to enter heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. We get all the way down to the end times and the Great Tribulation, and when Jesus returns in Revelation chapter 19, uh, Zechariah tells us uh, some some pretty specific numbers. He says that um, uh, two-thirds of the Jews will reject him, one-third of the Jews who see him. Now remember, they're seeing him return. And the Jews are going to say, where did you get those scars, those wounds? And he's going to say, I got them in the house of my friends. And they're going to know that they were the ones who rejected Jesus Christ. And one third of them are going to fall in repentance. It's going to be the greatest Jewish revival in the history of the world. And those are the men and women who are going to go to heaven. But individual Jews are not going to be saved just because they are Jews. The nation of Israel will always be the place where Jesus' throne is, at least for a thousand years on earth during the millennial reign. So, one day I hope that helps. 340-9585, here is a question that just came in on our mobile app anonymously. How should or shouldn't I approach a young lady in her early 20s who has been dressing in a manner unbecoming her Christian walk making me and other men stumble. I'm a single man with no desire for a relationship with her. This is a struggle for me. Boy, that's a great question, and it's a tough question. Here's what I would do, uh, Anonymous, or what I would ask you to do. I don't think it's appropriate for a man to address a young lady about the way she dresses. I would find somebody in church, uh, a mature, loving Christian woman, and have them go and speak to her. But understand that the way she's dressing, she's a young lady, she's in her early 20s, she's probably a brand new Christian, maybe not even a Christian yet. Um, She doesn't know any better. And so a, a loving woman, an older woman who can do this in church, I know Paula has done this on several occasions in our church, other ladies in our church have done it, but they always do it in a way not to draw attention to the lady, not to embarrass her. That's not the point at all. What we want to do is gently correct her. Now, this is the important part for you. If you are being stumbled by a woman in your church, the issue is you, not her. I want you to think about what I just said. The issue is you. It's not her. 
Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at someone with lust. If you look at somebody and you are lusting, it's not her fault because of the way she's dressed. It's at that moment we have to take Paul's counsel and say that that's the time to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's when we remember that this is a child of God, a daughter of God. And we have to look at her that way. By the power of the Spirit, Anonymous, we have to look at her that way. And when you get together, say, making you and other men stumble, when you and other men are sitting around talking about it, you're inflaming the, the, the lust. What you ought to do with the other men, what they ought to do with you is say, you know what, let's just not look at her. Instead of talking about her and making her even more of an object to stare at. We need to understand, Anonymous, that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you're being stumbled, don't look. And if you can't control who or what you look at, then you need to get filled with the Spirit of God. I don't know why it is we always blame others for our stumbling. I know it's easy, but you see, it doesn't solve anything. And even if you were to go to her and she were to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll start dressing like an older woman now, uh, you'd find somebody else to stare at and something else to stumble. Just we've got to control our lust. We're not to be controlled, Paul says, like the passionate uh, heathen do by our lust. Rather, we're to keep our lust under control as we would keep our anger, as we keep our mouth under control. So Anonymous, the issue is is not her, it's you. And unfortunately, there is an element of judgment here. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said that we look at the beam, the speck in somebody else's eye, and we neglect the beam in our own eye. This is a time to look into your own heart. Because this is about you and Jesus. This isn't about this girl at all. I hope that helps. hope you're not too upset with me, but we've had that same thing happen in our church and we just tell people, look, don't look. Just don't look. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is, that's why I make people mad, that kind of counsel. <laughs> Here's a question from Mark. He said, last week you answered my question about total depravity. Would you now do the same unlimited atonement? Mark, I don't know whether you're dabbling in Calvinism or not, but limited atonement is the most pernicious of all the points. Limited atonement simply says that Jesus didn't die for the whole world. He died for the elect, or he died only for those that he has chosen. Now, that is not only contrary to what the Bible teaches, but it is pernicious. I use that word because it is in contradistinction to the character and the nature of God. God is love. And limited atonement is an evil doctrine that suggests that God's love is extended only to those whom he has chosen. Now, you've heard me say that God chooses those he knows are going to choose him back. That's the basis of God's choice of us. It's not like God says, okay, Mark, I'll pick you. Uh, Ron, I won't pick you. It's not that at all. And the Doctrine of Limited Atonement suggests that, doesn't suggest, it states very clearly that God only died for the sins of the elect. And there is just nothing more evil in the five points of Calvinism than that. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, that's a key word, whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So Mark, limited atonement. If all of the other points of Calvinism I agreed with, and you know I don't, if all of the other points points of Calvinism I agreed with, that one would drive me um, to my knees in repentance, and I would, I would just I reject, how can you believe just the opposite of what the Bible so clearly says. 
340-9585. Sylvia says, how can I overcome feelings of guilt when I go to church? I often feel worse when I leave church than before I got there. Sylvia, I don't know you, so I can't, I don't want this to sound like I'm judging your heart at all, but just generally speaking, uh, if you feel worse when you leave church than before you got there, the reason you feel worse is because God put his finger on sins he wants you to repent of, and you've chosen not to repent. I tell our church all the time, guilt is a really good thing if you're guilty. And so when we are guilty of sin, God, who has an answer for that sin, he wants us to, to repent so that we can be forgiven, our, rest, our, our fellowship with God completely and utterly restored. And if we don't accept him uh, as he offers that, then the problem is us, the problem's not him. And it's a good thing that we feel worse because that's an indication that there's something wrong. And there's something wrong is never with God. Something wrong is with us. If you have repented of sin, if you're walking with Jesus, Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. If you're abiding in Jesus, then you don't feel guilt. Condemnation is far from you. But if you come to a church, I'm just going to suggest a church like ours. I've had for the last three Sundays... In the last two Wednesday nights, really hard, hard, hard messages to give. And I can promise you, Sylvia, that every single person who was in our church, those Bible studies, if they walked out of here unrepentant, they felt worse when they left than when they got here. And the only reason they wouldn't feel worse is because their hearts had become so rock hard that the Holy Spirit can now barely even penetrate their hard hearts. So this feeling bad, this guilt you're feeling is a really good sign because it indicates the Holy Spirit's still there and he's still convicting you of sin. Again, he doesn't want you to feel bad about yourself. What he wants you to do is stop sinning. And I can tell you, it's going to get worse if you don't stop sinning. The only way it's going to be better is for you to say, okay, Jesus, I'm done wrestling with you. I give up. I'm sorry. And then you purpose in your heart with Jesus' help not to do it anymore. And then you're going to experience those times of refreshing that I talked about in answer to another question at the top of of the program today. The times of refreshing will come upon you. It'll be like a breath of fresh air. That burden of sin is lifted and you know the fellowship of God is resting with you all over again. Okay? So, Sylvia, repent of your sins and that will be fixed. Here is a question from Pam. She says, I wanted to know what my spiritual gifts were and a pastor at my church wants me to take a test to find out. That seems weird to me. Can I have your thoughts? Uh, Pam, I would say that your discernment is working perfectly. Uh, Not only is it weird, but it's very ungodly. It's very secular. I want you to think about something for a moment. God gives, 1 Corinthians 12 says, gifts of the Spirit as He wills. Not as we will. Not based on our natural gifts. But based on His will. Now, if God can give a gift to someone who doesn't have any talent in that particular direction. Doesn't it make sense that then we can appreciate that gift even more because we know it's not of our own making, it's of God. You know, Paula can sing really beautifully. And while worship is a spiritual gift that Paula has, um, singing is just a natural talent that God blessed her with. Now, if Paula was singing on the worship team, and the whole time she's thinking, well, I'm really good at this, uh, you know, this is just my, my, my natural talent, then it would cease to be worship. Now, if God could make me sing well, that would be a miracle. But the idea there is God gives gifts as he wills. Now, let me tell you about these tests. They're 
psychological profile tests. They're designed to identify natural talents. And the tragedy, Pam, is that churches have latched onto these tests and are using them um, to, to try to identify spiritual gifts. It is a horrible, horrible practice. It is a practice that is completely absent faith. And I think it's a practice that does a lot of harm to the people in those churches that are using those gifts. I know it's the cool, hip thing to do now. I know that seeker-sensitive churches especially, here, let me identify your spiritual gifts and we can put you to work. But let God identify the spiritual gifts he's given you. And the way that you find out, Pam, what your spiritual gifts are is you start serving. Just start serving. Serve the body of Christ that he's put you in. And maybe this isn't a church you want to stay at for the long term. But you start serving. Whenever a need comes up, you answer that need. Uh, If an announcer, our announcer, every Sunday, we have a spotlight ministry, and he'll say we need uh, people to answer phones on Saturdays for half a day, or we need people to help put the school back together after close the church on on Thursday and after close or on Wednesday rather and after close the church on Sunday uh, we need people in the cleaning crew or we need people in children's ministry then just do it sign up fill out the forms if there are forms and and make yourself available to serve God while you're faithfully serving God doing anything He'll meet you and he'll start developing your spiritual gifts and letting you know what those gifts are. And if you're faithful with one gift, then he may let you know you have another gift. If you're faithful with that gift, then he'll let you know you've got another gift. And the people who don't know what their gifts are, usually people, Pam, who aren't doing anything at all. They're just kind of sitting waiting for a bolt of lightning to hit them uh, from heaven and it just, that's not the way God works. You Take a step of faith, a step of obedience, and God will meet you, and it will be wonderful. One other thing I want to say, Pam, not necessarily to you, but to everybody in the audience, the way you make a church family is to serve it and get connected to the people you're serving with. I've shared this before, but but even cleaning minister, we have a Saturday morning cleaning crew here. Um, it's not a huge group of people. I'll, I'll come in for Saturday morning prayer at 9.30, and uh, they'll be standing outside. Uh, everything is clean and ready to go, but, but they're still out there talking, having a great time, planning a, a, a get-together in the afternoon or a get-together later that evening. I mean, it's just like a little family. That's what happens when you serve God. The people you serve with become like family. When you do that, that's when God really begins to sort of enlarge your tents. So that's the way to do it, Pam. I avoid as best you can. Uh, everybody, everybody has gifts, at least one. And when you use them for God's glory, you're going to find out you have more. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're inside five minutes now. Um, Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, how do we as believers deal with all the terrible things that have been done in Jesus' name? Anonymous, we don't have to deal with those things. Now, if somebody says, yeah, but what about all the problems you Christians cause? Or what about the Crusades? Or what about this? Just tell people, don't blame Jesus for that. I mentioned that in our message this Sunday, uh, this past Sunday. Um, There are people who um, get mad at God because something bad is done by a Christian or or because somebody's a hypocrite in the church. Don't blame God for those things. If somebody says, yeah, but what about all the terrible things that have been done in the name of religion or in the name of Jesus? I'd say in religion, it doesn't surprise me. Religion has nothing to do with Jesus. And the people that use the name of Jesus, let's just say in our country's history, to to, to validate slavery, or to, to justify holding on to hatred toward people that remain prejudiced. Just say, you know, that that's, don't blame Jesus because they didn't get it. You know, the truth is that a lot of people are just jerks. The fact that Jesus' name comes off their lips doesn't mean anything. Jesus would say to them, 
Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things I say? It's really, really important that we, not that Jesus needs us to defend him, but the more talking to somebody, that we get to the real reasons. It's not because there's a hypocrite in the church. It's not because somebody's done something that offended you in the name of Jesus that you're not coming. It's because you don't want to stop sinning. And when we're direct in love with people like that, then we're going to get to the root of the real problems. Here's the last one for today. Last question. It comes from Dale. He says, can you help me with time management relating to preparing messages and all the other things we as pastors have to do? I'm especially interested in balancing family and church. You know, Dale, I shouldn't have taken this question because two minutes is not very good time management me for this one. So if you don't mind, I'm going to hold this one over uh, to the beginning of the program tomorrow. Um, Here's what I can do very quickly. We've got one minute. Ted says, can gays be cured through prayer? Um, Not in the way you're thinking, Ted, not at all. Um, You know, being attracted to the same gender is not um, um, a, a, a sense that there's something broken with somebody. It's not something that can be fixed or put back together. Um, it's just a heart that needs Jesus. And I think this whole conversion therapy thing that Christians have had, and we've been blasted rightfully so, by the way, uh, for uh, all the conversion therapy, pray the gay away type of thing, it can't be done. The only thing that can help you if you are attracted to people the same gender as somebody in your family is and you want to help them is Jesus. It's not a prayer. It's Jesus. Jesus can transform their heart. And sometimes they're going to struggle with same-sex attraction for their entire lives. But Jesus will help them there as well. I might come back to this one tomorrow as well. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We're at the end of the program today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.